Hello and welcome to the Ramblings of a Saint. I'm your host Johnny Lou. This is episode two and this is where we talk about the good, the bad and the ugly of everything rugby league both in England and around the world. So let's get straight into it. Let's get straight into some good news that has come out this week. It is looking even more and more likely that the Penrith Panthers and St. Helens will be participating in the World Cup Challenge, which is absolutely unreal. I mean, after the past two years and the cancellations due to, well, various reasons really, um, one club says one thing, the other club says, oh, they never got in touch with us. But we all know that the true reason was COVID and the logistics of coming over with timing, schedules, seasons, everything else, really. So it'll be good to actually have it happening. And obviously Penrith, we're never going to travel over to England. So looks like it is going to be held in Western Sydney. And, well, it sounds like Saints have even lined up a friendly beforehand, which for me is one of the best things that we could possibly do. It shows to the fans that will travel over that they are taking it seriously, that they do want to prove over to that side of the world that they they are a team. They are a team capable of beating the best. I mean, these are the two best sides now, potentially of both competitions eras. I mean, you've got Saints, who have just done four in a row. You know, it, it was one of the one of the best seasons I think I've seen of Saints because it was an actual challenge. Half of our squad, with key players, were injured. A um, lot of rotations, and we were still formidable. We still held it together and we created history at the same time, you know. Um, obviously not without problems, sort of in a sense, with some of the fixtures. Sometimes we did have a hit, bit of a lull, especially Wakefield away in the pouring down rain. Um, luckily I wasn't there. It sort of stemmed a, a period of of just seemed to kind of go through the motions both a couple of weeks before that and um, <clears throat> a few weeks after the uh, yeah the Magic Weekend game so we came out of that and we hit the ground running when it came and to the business end of the season and we got the job done we created our history and then of course you got Penrith who are I think only the Second or third, no, third team to win back-to-back premierships over there. Um, you obviously got like the likes of Melbourne Storm. Um, a few years ago, got to three grand finals, but they never won it back-to-back. And that is, they were deemed one of the greatest sides of the NRL era. This Penrith side have done three seasons on the bounce now, winning 20-plus games, which is remarkable, especially considering... Um, during the 2020 season, a few games got cut short. So, like, it's really a battle between two sides. Um, yeah, so obviously the Penrith chairman came out and sort of 
hinted that it was going ahead and I think pretty much now we can we can expect the game to be going ahead. Um and I've seen a lot of kickings off, shall we say, on Twitter from a lot of us Saints fans. Um those of you that don't know, I actually follow Penrith in the NRL, so this is a really exciting time for me. Um, I was looking at going over, but it looks like I'll I'll be away, unfortunately, at the time. But the uh, there was a bit of a kickoff um, on Twitter about some of the comments made by the Penrith. Uh, I don't know whether it was the CEO or chairman saying that they were hoping to squeeze them in for the second trial game and have it as a second trial and I've seen a lot of people going oh, oh how dare how dare Penrith how dare Penrith say that we're St. Helens is a trial game blah 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 and all that sort of stuff and for me it's not really a big deal I mean you've got to look you've got to look on the wider perspective um, I think it's lost on people how little that actually benefits Penrith financially um, and also from a sort of marketability it's not it's not a be all or end all for the NRL clubs um, you also have to look at the competition when it has taken place it's always been sort of a pre-season friendly anyway for them it's always started way before the season starts in Australia so they always did kind of see it as a warm up game they've always played some of the kids in the games whether it's one two or you know I remember a few years back I think um, it might have been when it was the World Club Series actually Sydney Roosters sent over the likes of Jackson Hastings uh, Nick Orima who were like 18 year old lads but you know Sort of even the World Cup Challenge, they've always they've always threw in a couple of youngsters, but you gotta remember it. You gotta remember that, you know. It always has been a friendly to them, and them using that words, it's not a mark of disrespect. It's just them stating, you know what, rather than a second trials game, we'd actually really want a good challenge the week before the season starts. So. Playing St. Helens is actually really great for us because, you know, we get a top class opposition playing, gives a few of our youngsters the chance to play against the top top team. Um you've also got to remember that Penrith and Saints have a really great reputation. It's one of the reasons why I started following them in twenty thirteen. Um the chairman at the time, he actually recommended Luke Walsh and Mossy Masoy to St. Helens and they also um, really, really uh, bigged up St. Helens to them players um, they always have done even Roy Simmons when he came over as coach uh, heard good things and obviously had met a lot of the Saints board way before when um, when they used to go over when, when Saints used to send obviously all the kids over um, those of you that don't know, Saints always play Penrith youngsters when the school, when the uh, under nineteens go on an Australian tour. Obviously, that's not happened past couple of years. So Saints' working relationship with Penrith is actually 
as, as, as far as I'm aware from the outside seems very very good because you won't be doing that if you didn't um but yeah also going off the financial benefits Penrith they don't need the money no NRL club actually needs the money drastically um and to put it into context our salary cap is 2.1 million theirs is in pounds I think next year it goes up to 6.8 6.9 million pounds so you can already tell the vast difference and another big difference is like we used to have when the Sky deal was relatively okay. Their salary cap is fully paid for. Our salary cap isn't through TV revenue. So <clears throat> they don't need that money. They're also, every single NRL club is guaranteed $3 million profit before the ball's even kicked. Now, <clears throat> is an extra, what? $400,000 a massive deal when you know you already are in profit so the financial benefits non-existent for them they will always prioritise the NRL so when when you sort of think of it like that there's that aspect and they don't want to risk injuries they want to focus more on the league you know it's 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 really it's really one of them that we can't really begrudge them any NRL club when it comes down to the World Cup challenge because it's not it's just not appealing for them as a commercial benefit it's appealing for them to obviously warm up their players so that that's that's to sort of give a bit of context to the comments made by the chairman and to tell people to stop kicking off. You know, he's not being disrespectful at all. Um, and either way, it's great that the actual challenge is looking like it's going to be going ahead. Fingers crossed that we get an announcement when the fixtures come out. And <coughs> Saints fans will be making their way over to Sydney. Um, failing that, hey-ho, maybe we can claim another... Another World Club Series win on a technicality. Because after all, we are the greatest team. <laughs> so, on that note, let's move on to the bad. Now, as we know, in the in the last podcast, I sort of discussed the crowd numbers. And the, the way it's dwindled during the World Cup. And that seems to have carried on during round two. And, well... Today's the New Zealand game and that's just picked up. And obviously we'll get we'll get to see over this third round how how well tickets have done. Um the, ba the bad for me is I see people moaning on Twitter that people are moaning about the ticket prices. I mean how can you? As as they like pointing out, we're in a cost of living crisis. We, there's there's not much money going around. People are making choices and you can't begrudge them from putting that forward. The marketing strategy has been a very, very strange one um, because, well, they've used the one marketing strategy they've got and that's saying everything's low availability. As you can tell by the TV screens, there's not low availability. 
but they haven't really pushed any other marketing sort of tools other than promotion to solely based rugby league fans. Now, when I was at the Tonga uh, Scotland game on Monday, there was a group of students from Liverpool behind me, and they went because um, of the recent student offer that's come up, which not many people knew about. So and that that's because I think they put an advert out to Liverpool Uni. So like the they've left it too late for that sort of stuff, but there is time to change that. Now the ticketing prices themselves, we all know are dead expensive. We all know the crowds well, we all know the stadiums aren't low availability, so what can they do about it? Um, I'd suggest those that bought the more expensive tickets get a free ticket to round three. But obviously round three's kicked off and th there's no chance of that. Um, I'd reduce all ticket prices drastically. Um, I don't get why they did a tiered ticketing system for grounds like um, Saints, for example, where, and, and Wigan and all them current rugby stadiums. Because it, as much as they like it, it's not a grand final. Like they could have just simply made it one widespread ticket prices. And for a lot of the nations that are playing, you know, who's going to go watch Lebanon and Jamaica at Lee Sports Village? The only reason I'm going is because I got free tickets from work. I wouldn't have bought them otherwise for 25 quid a go. Like I just wouldn't. And that's stand up. So what... There's no sort of logic with that. Like, the, the the England game should always have a premium. I think Australia against a good team, say it was Australia-Papua New Guinea, or it was, um, sorry, the Tonga-Papua New Guinea. Two very good teams, tickets would sell well. Reduce the prices. Slightly, but a bit more expensive than the really bad teams. Like, obviously... Lebanon and Jamaica, they're not bad teams, but they're not as marketable because you know it's going to be a washout. Whereas games like PNG and Tonga that, that you know will be relatively close, it will be a good contest. Put a premium on it. Your England games, more expensive still. But like I say, just flogging for a tenner, like £10 in your pockets now is better than £0 and an empty seat. So for me, I'd just stick. And also, no OAP prices? Like, what's that about? We've got pensioners in a cost of living crisis and there's no cheaper tickets for them. Only students and children. And you can only buy children with a paying adult. So the like, where's looking out for them? Like, a lot of rugby league fans are elderly as well as young. So, come on. I also went to go buy um, an Australia-Italy ticket at the Saints Stadium the other day. I put it on my Twitter because I just thought it was hilarious that the venues that are hosting it aren't even, you know, aren't even selling them until three hours before kickoff. It's all online. So again, that pretty much screws over the elderly as well because some may not be as technical as others. 
some might not be able to work online and yet you're limiting your ticket availability drastically so or like what about the the chance shoppers that keep forgetting to buy online and they're at the tesco near the ground and they go oh i'll tell you what i'll go to saints and i'll i'll go see if they've got any tickets or doncaster i'll go to the ground there or lee sports village they've gone to morrison's like it's mind-boggling that they haven't even given them any tickets to sell and then obviously pass it over to the international rugby league via you know card payments or whatever it's just it's just mind-boggling the strategy the marketability i just don't get it it's like i know they've tried to keep everything central they've tried to increase basically the profit margins by selling tickets at a higher premium and the idea is that you sell a thousand tickets at 40 quid you're making more money than selling three thousand at a tenner but they're not even selling the 40 quid tickets they're not even selling a lot of the cheaper tickets for sellouts because the cheaper tickets are still like 25 quid unless you're a student 25 quid still isn't cheap you know, you go to two or three of these games, group games, in your local town, say Warrington, St. Helens and Lee, all relatively close. You want to go to a few of them, that's 75 quid before you've even even thought about fuel, anything else in the space of a short period of time. Plus, if you've got children, it all adds up. For me, the, the contest that you know the big stars aren't playing in or you know the 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 games that the games that aren't as marketable as your Australia, your New Zealand, your England's and even Tonga now. Like reduce them. They should have seen that. They should have had that from the months before. Months before, rather than putting out a survey saying what will make you buy more tickets. One of the tick boxes being for the low availability and then literally the next week putting it out putting it out on all your sites that there's low availability for every single game group games and then now we're turning on our tv to see a third of the stadium full it's just mad absolute madness so the final one the ugly there's only one place to start isn't there the Lee Leopards. My God. What is going on there? Anyone? <laughs> it's just... I think Derek has finally lost his mind. If it wasn't, you know... If it wasn't starting fights on Twitter... Or, sorry, offering out fights on Twitter... Because... He disagreed with someone over his comments about French teams not bringing away fans. It's now, in a short space of time, rebranding a whole club. It's not just the name. He's got rid of the kit. The iconic red of Lee, the red and white, is gone. He's just erased that from history now. They are now the Lee Leopards. He's managed to take... It's honestly the worst kit I've ever seen in my life. He's got the wrong animal on. 
for the start. It's a Jaguar, not a Leopard. He's made one of the nicest, most interesting big cats dull by making it black and white. It's got an it's got an ass on the back. It's literally got a Jaguar's anus on the back with a number on the back of that. There's no need for it. There's no need for any design on the back. Just leave it plain for the number. It's easily the worst kit I've ever seen, possibly in any sport. I will say that. It's definitely Rugby League's worst kit, definitely. It's even worse than the Dolphins. This rebrand has actually overtaken the Dolphins as the worst rebrand, in my opinion. And it fe- I just feel so sorry for Lee fans. Having him as the main man of their club. He pulled out all funding a few years ago. He's very volatile. You know, they don't know what to do next. I had a conversation on Twitter with a Lee fan. And he said, it's weird because we're the most secure and the most unsecure club in rugby league. Because you don't know what he'll do next. You don't know when he'll get bored. He uses that club as his toy. You know, I work in Lee, and I work with a lot of Lee fans, and I haven't met one person that likes the rebound. I haven't liked one person that likes the kit. And then you look at the badge. Like, you can just tell that he's had full control of this. You can tell he's designed the badge. Tell he's... Sorry. You can tell he's told the graphic designer exactly what he wants the badge to look like, and it looks absolutely shit. There's no other word for it. It is awful. You can tell he's designed the kits because it's the wrong animal. A graphic designer, any sort of designer, kit designer, anyone, even me, even you listening to this, you know what a leopard looks like. All you have to do is Google Leopard. And he's still got a bloody Jaguar. He's he's tried to rebrand it as the Penrith Panthers of 2020 to 2022. And instead, he's managed to... Well, I think, I think they're going to be like the Penrith Panthers of 2007 at this rate. And that was a stinky season. I've just got no words for him. I've got no words for the rebrand. It's just horrific from start to finish. He He's now bringing out new logos every few days. I don't know if that's because he's realised the fans hate the logo. And he's trying to appease them. Do the polls. But then it's the arrogance. It's the arrogance of when fans are criticising it. Both fans of Lee and fans not of Lee. When they criticise it on Twitter... He is then quote tweeting it, going, Thank you for telling your da 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 followers, so that's like an amount of followers, about our great club. Um, thank, thanks for getting the word out. And it's like, you're on Rugby League Twitter, mate. You know, most of us who follow people tweeting about Rugby League are Rugby League fans, so most of us know who Lee 
Centurions are. And Centurions is such a better name. But it's it's just so arrogant of him to comment that to the fans. Like, just accept the criticism and go, yeah, all right, fair play. It's the idea that he's getting the name Lee out there. But he's not because he's keeping it within the same market. There's no promotion of it outside of Rugby League Twitter. Well, that I've seen. I haven't seen it even on Granada Reports, our local news network. I didn't even really see it on there. I think they did a little 30-second snippet of it, but it wasn't massive. But then you've got people like Martin Sadler and other Rugby League journals that were at the big press reveal. Saying how like how professional it was. It's just not. It's just not. They didn't even consult the fans. I remember when, when Saints were on about changing the badge, um, before we moved to the new stadium, and they were like, "Oh, we're gonna re not rebrand, but we're gonna revitalize the logo," and they sent a questionnaire out to the fans and. One of the options was like, you know, I basically just wanted feedback on it. And most of the people wanted to keep the S and H within the new logo. They took that on board, they created a logo, and it really represented our club. Like they put thought into it. What he's done is not consult the fans. There's not been one fan consultation. Um and he's just, he just seems to have been plucked out of mid-air because there was no warning. There was no warning whatsoever. And I think that's the saddest thing about this rebrand and the ugliness of it, not just the kit, <laughs> is the actual... He treats fans with contempt, I think. I think he's very naive. With the fans. He uses the club as a toy. And he uses the fans as the toy. So yeah. Yeah really think about that. Really think about that Derek. And I just don't know what goes through his head. And I feel that like I said. I just feel sorry for Lee fans. That, that they just don't know what's going to happen next. <laughs> um. So yeah. Yeah that's that. Yeah, and um, actually, before I wrap up, another point about the um, ticket prices situation, and that is the fact that, uh, not ticket prices necessarily, but the reason why we may be having low crowds as well. Um, the main issue is we get flogged. There's nothing else to say. English fans get flogged. Um, by that I mean. If you want to go home and away to go visit your team. You're asked to go to 27 games for our season. Now. That's a lot. Like, the NRL's only 24. But. 27 games. Plus then you have playoff comps if your team gets there you've got pre-season friendlies 
which is normally two. You've got then your Challenge Cup, which thinks three games that we end up playing if you're a Super League side. So you're talking the 33, 34, 35 games a season if you go home and away. Plus, well, this year, two of the trips were to France. You've then got a Magic Weekend. It's a lot of money. And then what you are doing after that is you are adding on an extra tournament, which is more spend. You're asking the fans to pay more than they would a Super League game to go watch these games with nations that they don't really, well, they do care about, but they don't, you know, it's not England, it's not their team. So you're asking them then to pay extortionate prices for them tickets. That's not the right strategy. It's not the right strategy to get people in. And it's not the right strategy to make as much money. They also don't reward English fans. Like myself and like you guys listening. They don't reward us. So, like I say, they just expect us. Expect us, expect us. And they always expect it. Every single club, the RFL, the International Rugby League. Just expect English fans to pay. And it was seen in the 2000 World Cup, and now it's seen this time round that we can't. We can't just keep paying. We can't just keep financing the sport. And especially when it's ran by incompetent arseholes like, that just waste the money. So it's just, it's just bonkers. It's just bonkers. Yeah, so anyway... There's been my rambling for this week. <laughs> this has been episode two anyway. Um, I hope you've enjoyed it. Um, follow me on Twitter, Rambling Saint Seven, um, or my personal Twitter, John Lou Thirteen, where I post great content about our great game. <laughs> so yeah, I know Wakefield fans know all about that. So shout out to you guys. <laughs> yeah so this has been the rambling of a saint thank you and catch you up next time